Okay, well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to all of you gathered here. Those of you watching on the live stream, wave. The walkers are visiting another church this morning, so they're not with us, but we'll just wave at them as well because they'll be watching, I'm sure, later on. Now, those of you that um, are regular, you know, regular attenders at this church will know that we are in a sermon series um, and we're doing a series on prayer because basically the things that really matter in life, and I mean the things that really matter in life, cannot be obtained unless we come before God in prayer. So for example, things like people becoming Christians, that's the work of the Spirit of God. So we have to pray that. And many of us have prayed that for people, loved ones, I'm sure. Repentance and a transformed life will only come through prayer. A genuine Christian community of love and peace and hope will come through prayer. Meaningful worship. So as we open our services week after week, we pray before Almighty God because none of us want to operate in our own strength. And a desire to reach people that maybe aren't in here today, those that are outside those doors, that will be achieved only through prayer and a desire to affect God's world with righteousness, justice, and holiness and peace, that will only come through prayer. So it doesn't matter how good it all is in here, if we don't come on our knees before Almighty God, really what will happen will be quite limited. So that's why we chose to um, do a series, a sermon series on prayer. And we only picked eight great prayers of the Bible. There are several, but we picked eight. So those of you know, we've been traveling through these various weeks. I think the first week, um, Mike did a prayer of Abraham, and then Deji did a prayer from the Apostle Paul. And last week, uh, Mike, I think, did the Syrophoenician woman. Those are the prayers that we've had so far. Now this morning, we are going to look at Jacob's prayer. And we often see Jacob's name mentioned in this description of Almighty God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So I encourage us to just hold that in our minds as we just listen to what I'm sharing with you all this morning. And we are going to look in the Bible in a place where there is the strangest wrestling match in history. Before we open up the Bibles, they are coming round right now. We are going to pray together. If you do want a Bible, just raise your hand and um, one of the welcome team will pass the Bible to you. We will be dipping in and out the Bible this morning. Thank you very much, thank you. Okay, just, we're gonna just pray together. Our Father, we thank you that all our lives take place in your sight. Nothing is hidden from you. You know everything about us. You know when we sit and when we rise, you perceive our thoughts from afar and are familiar with all our ways. As we open your word this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand, to reflect and apply all that we read in the scriptures. 
and with the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Be our teacher this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we um, open up the Bibles and uh, look at the strangest wrestling match in history, I want to start with a prologue of Jacob's story. And when you get time, I really encourage you to open up the book of Genesis and go from Genesis chapter 25 to Genesis chapter 50, which will be the death of Jacob. So I'm going to give us a little prologue of his life just to give us a bit of context. So Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. Now, Isaac married Jacob when he was 40 years old. Um, Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years old, um, and Rebekah could not conceive a child. So um, Isaac prayed to God and asked for God's help uh, for Rebekah to fall pregnant. And when he was 60 years old, Rebekah became pregnant. Now, Rebecca must have had some kind of feeling of discomfort in her womb um, during her pregnancy, as if a wrestling match was going on. Now, I can really relate to this feeling. Um, when I was pregnant with our second child, who was nearly 10 pound, I felt from day one as if it was a wrestling match that was going on in my womb. So um, Rebecca prayed to the Lord and wanted to find out what's going on. Why does this feel like a wrestling match is going on in the womb? And the Lord said to her, you are pregnant with twins. So when the time came for Rebecca to give birth, the first to come out was Esau, a child described as red and very hairy. And the second child to come out he was gripping the heel of his older brother as he came out. And so his hand, if you can imagine, was grabbing onto his heel. And they called that child Jacob, which means supplanter. And it, the biblical definition of that is deceiver, which I'm sure many of you know. So if you're familiar with this story of Jacob, you will remember that Jacob um, deceived his father Isaac on his deathbed by pretending to be his older brother Esau, having followed this really elaborate plan, which you can read all about if you, if you want to have a look at it. So Jacob, through this deception, received the blessing of the firstborn son. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 36, his older brother Esau said this, "'Isn't he rightly named Jacob? "'He has deceived me these two times. "'He took my birthright, and he's now taken my blessing.'" And the thing that happens next is that Jacob goes on the run for his life because Esau has threatened to kill him. Esau said, I'm going to kill this brother of mine because he's stolen my birthright and my blessing. So the story goes that Jacob, he runs away and he runs away to his uncle Laban's home. And there he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. So he approaches Laban and says, oh, can I have your daughter Rachel in marriage? And Laban says to Jacob, of course you can, if you work for me for seven years. Jacob agrees to do it because he desperately wanted to marry Rachel. However, on the wedding night, his uncle deceived him by sending the older and, dare I say it, less attractive sister to the wedding, to the marriage bed that night, and her name was Leah. Now, 
Jacob, I'm sure, was extremely cross when he wakes up and sees what's happened, that this is not the, the woman he was expecting. So he approaches his uncle Laban and his uncle Laban says, yes, that is what's happened. You can have Rachel also on the proviso that you work for me for another seven years. Yeah, exactly. Bringing this total to 14 years of hard labour. But for me, when I read that story, I see that Jacob got a taste of his own medicine, really. Um, then Jacob receives word from God that he should return home and God promised to be with him. Now, despite hearing clearly from God, we read in the Bible that Jacob makes the journey home with great fear and distress. So if we can just turn to our reading this morning, which you will find on page 36, we are going to pick this main story up now from Genesis chapter 32, reading from verses 22 to 32, while we look at this strangest wrestling match in history. Now in my Bible, it says Jacob wrestles with God. And I've got one point really for us to consider this morning, and it's the journey from wrestling to blessing. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very, very strange story. Many Bible translations refer to this chapter 32 as Jacob wrestles with God. You might even have that as a heading in the Bible you're holding. And indeed, in the story, we do see Jacob wrestling with God. But I believe that God was the instigator of this wrestling match. And in verse 24, we read the following. A man wrestled with him, i.e. Jacob, until daybreak. Now, who is this man, you may wonder? Well, most commentators agree that this man is the pre-incarnate Christ, sometimes called the angel of the Lord. 
And this is definitely possible because we have seen the pre-incarnate Christ in several places in the Old Testament. For example, an encounter with Abraham and also with Hagar. Also, this was not the first time that Jacob had had an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ because God had been at work in Jacob's life from his very existence, fulfilling the promise over Jacob's life. For instance, the Lord spoke to Rebecca, Jacob's mother, while Jacob was still in the womb. Just turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the elder will serve the younger. And then in Genesis 28, if you just skip to that one, verses 12 to 15, here we see the Lord spoke to Jacob in a dream, and I'm just going to read it for us, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And then the Lord spoke to Jacob in an audible voice in Genesis 31. And he says to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So just a quick whistle stop through the scriptures, we see that Jacob is a man with a promise from God over his life. First, it was revealed to his mother, then it was revealed to Jacob in a dream, and then Jacob heard with an audible voice. Yet, Jacob was a man who struggled with people all his life. And although God's promises over his life were crystal clear, Jacob lied, conned, deceived, and manipulated situations and people to get his own way. He was self-reliant and used scheming and deception to get on in life. And in the earlier verses in chapter 32 of our reading, we see Jacob trapped in this weird cycle of plans and prayers and more plans. And in spite of the amazing encounters that Jacob had had with God, he is a troubled man, full of fear of his brother Esau. Now, when you have a chance to read through this story, and on my first reading, whenever I've read this, you can look at it and think, oh, I know what's going on here. This is just a simple case of sibling rivalry. And I'm sure, like me, there are many... When I think of sibling rivalry, I think of Noel and Liam Gallagher. That's who I think of. 
I remember that sibling rivalry. And even closer to home now, if anybody has bought that very famous book with two princes, I won't say any more, okay? This could just be a simple case of sibling rivalry. However, I believe that there is a lot more going on in the scriptures that we have read this morning. At the age of approximately 97 years old, Jacob's defining moment in life has come. Let's just read again verses 22. So Genesis chapter 32, go back to 22, and I'm just going to read those verses again. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. In those verses, we see that everything that is important to Jacob, his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and all of his possessions, he sends over the Jabbok River. Now the name Jabbok in biblical Hebrew comes from a word which means to make empty or empty itself. And I imagine the profound significance of this moment. Here we see Jacob alone, stripped of everything except perhaps the clothes he's wearing. It's as if somehow he's emptied himself of all that he holds dear and now he's standing there before his maker. And his maker meets him in a wrestling match. Now remember, God pursued Jacob for this match. God was the initiator. Jacob had been stewing in his own anxiety and preoccupied with fear of his brother Esau, who was actually now coming towards Jacob with 400 of his men. And I believe that at this point of his deepest fear and anxiety, the pre-incarnate Jesus showed up and forced Jacob out of his preoccupation to focus solely on Almighty God. God came to Jacob in his aloneness and this turned out to be the most transforming experience in Jacob's life. And for many of us that have had this type of encounter with God in our aloneness, it can be a place where we are truly transformed. And there's a famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon and he puts it like this, a man's extremity is God's opportunity. And this was true then, and it is true now. The pre-incarnate Christ is wrestling with Jacob. And prior to this, for many years, God had been trying to get Jacob's attention and to try to get Jacob to submit to him. But Jacob had lived independently of God, planning and scheming. Now, God used many tools to fashion Jacob. First, there was the fear of death that caused Jacob to run from Esau. 
Then there was the ladder experience at Bethel, which kind of opened up Jacob's mind, if you like, to God's promises. And then there was the great disappointment. When he agreed to work seven years, got Rachel for Rachel, but didn't get Rachel, got Leah, and then ended up working for 14 years. So we see God used home difficulties, conflicts with an uncle and hard labor, all to get Jacob's attention. And when I think about that, I then wonder to myself, God, what are you using to get our attention? Sometimes our self-confidence and self-will are the most difficult things to bow the knee to God. But God wants total surrender. When God calls us to wrestle with him, there's always more going on than we first sort of think, really. He wants to transform us. And if you feel, I don't know where everybody's at in the room, if you feel you're in a season of wrestling with God, I pray that you will not let go. Jacob found his moment of greatest weakness to be his moment of greatest discovery when he says the following words, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And could it be that God had been waiting to hear those words from Jacob for a long time and that actually the true blessing that Jacob needed was this blessing from Almighty God. Jacob had been a planner and a schemer all his life, mixed in with a little bit of prayer, a little bit of God, a man operating in his own strength. But now, in this moment, on the floor, in some kind of hold, some wrestling move, he's totally dependent on Almighty God. And it's as if the pendulum has swung from schema to surrender. Now, when we read Jacob's earlier story, we may be thinking, oh gosh, this is a man really who has failed to live up to everything God had promised him. But in the middle of the strangest wrestling match in history, we read the words of the pre-incarnate Christ asking Jacob this question, what is your name? As if Almighty God didn't know his name. And I want you to visualize this with me for a minute. You can almost see Jacob, right? He's just about standing up. He's holding his side where that hip has been put out of joint, maybe in excruciating pain, covered in sweat from an all-night wrestling match, worn out, his head is bowed to the floor, looking at the ground, and Jacob probably spoke his name out in shame because he knew that his name, Jacob, was a defining character. It, it talked about what his character was like and he knew that he was a deceiver. And yet the pre-incarnate Christ affirms Jacob by saying these words, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. In both the Old and the New Testament, we see descriptions of Almighty God in these words, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
because with them, God's relationship of promise and purpose has been fixed for all those who descend from that line, and that includes each and every one of us. Now, Jacob's story, for me, when I read this story, it's one of hope. Because like him, many of us are imperfect, fractured, flawed, broken people. And we may even look back over our lives sometimes and think, oh no, we've really, really failed in so many ways. But I want us to know this in the deepest part of our hearts. As children of the living God, failure does not disqualify us. Deception does not disqualify us. Our own self-sufficiency does not disqualify us. None of these things have the final word. God does. And when we think of Almighty God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, I just pray that it would be a reminder for us always that God sees his word through to the end and he fulfills the promise that he has over each and every one of our lives. As I close our time together today, I'm very mindful that we are in the season, the Lenten season of prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer of relinquishment in a minute. And this prayer, a defining character of it, is, is real struggle, is at the core of it, if you like. And the prayer has been taken from a couple of my prayer books, which I've got here. Um, both of these books are by Richard Foster, and I highly recommend them. Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, and Prayers from the Heart. So as we bow our heads in a moment, and I say this prayer, if the prayer resonates with you in your heart, I invite you to say amen. And if it doesn't, you can remain silent. So let us just bow our heads and pray together. Today, O oh Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me, and may your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. And I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen.